Let's pray. That's always a good first step. And then we'll see what the Lord does to us, with us, and for us. Dear Father in heaven, who revealed your love to us in Jesus Christ, your Son, grant, we beg you, to send your Holy Spirit that we may love you with our whole hearts and our neighbors as ourselves. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's amazing how often we pray for that. Simplest thing, love your neighbor, love God and love your neighbor. Uh, this must, be, must tell us something about ourselves. Ah, there's so much to talk about today. Happy feast day of St. Michael's, all the angels. Now, I didn't, <clears throat> I was just curious about the last hymn, you know. Haven't talked to Mr. Mueller, but then you can't really blame it on him because this is right out of the new hymnal. Did you notice um, in the second, ver- well, there's a couple things to notice in the last hymn. I just want to point this out to you. Um, I gave you cherubim and seraphim, but classically, uh, they speak of nine ranks of angels. I just did two this morning in the sermon. But this is just for you to tuck away, you know, are there nine, are there seven, are there two, to, you know, just for fun, just tucking this away. Whoever wrote the hymn was strikingly tuned in, um, ye watchers and ye holy ones, any saints, so kind of calling in everybody, bright seraphs, so seraphim, im is the Hebrew plural, so seraph is one, seraphim is a lot, cherub. As you know, cherub is one, cherubim is a lot. So you have seraphim, cherubim, and thrones is actually a word that's spoken of as angels. There's, there, now, that's hard for us because they're persons, but they're not he and she, okay? But, you know, thrones can be a way you can talk. Raise the glass, hallelujah. Dominions, princedoms, powers. And remember, that's heard, that can be heard a negative word, too. Uh, we deal with the powers and the principalities in Ephesians, for example, right? Virtues, archangels, and angel choirs. So there's another kind. So actually, each of those, I don't know if you noticed that going through, but that each, each of those name a rank of angels. And then people talk about how many they are and what they exactly look like. We know frightfully little about the angels, which will make heaven a very, very interesting place. But I just want to note that for you. First, there's all these different kinds of angels. Second is, <clears throat> you're really sort of boxed in <clears throat> by, the, um, by, the, uh, by the second verse. Okay, so just kind of think about this. Oh, higher than the cherubim. Okay, so you got, now, now ranks is always kind of nerve-wracking, especially in heaven. People talk about the level of heaven. Paul said I got caught up to the, you know, seventh level. Did he say seventh level? Seventh level? He got caught up to the seventh level. Nine ranks of angels, seven levels. You start to, you know, do this and that, and you get all kind of twisted up about in heaven. Although, you know, it does say that our works will follow us into heaven. You sort of pass through. You know how you go through the medical detector at the airport? Well, this will be instead sort of this um, hot fire <laughs> burns away all the stuff, and then you can take in whatever doesn't burn up. It's in the Bible, you know. So um, I, I, just, I just posed the question, oh, higher than the cherubim, more glorious than the seraphim. Ooh, we're getting up pretty high level. Lead their praises. Okay, so somebody leading their praises. Alleluia. Thou bearer of the eternal word. Now, there are two possibilities at least there. One is Vicar Boyle. Who, who bore the eternal word down the aisle, what's the other possibility? Yes, St. Mary. Well, so St. Mary is the other possibility. So I didn't know, I just wanted to make you aware, you know, so later when they are, are putting the little bamboo shoots under your fingernails and you're saying, did you ever pray to Mary? And then you, no, oh, never. Say, what about verse 2? On the feast day of St. Michael and all angels. This is not praying to Mary exactly. But I just wanted to note that um, you know, you thought this all started with gaining. No, 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 no. You know, this, is, this has been in the church for some time. 
Um, and then in verse, so, 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 so you've got the angels, and then you've got, you got St. Mary, and then the third verse, I don't know if you're paying attention to this, respond ye souls in endless rest. You're actually singing to the dead. That's, that's, you're saying, you know, hey. You know what I, the, <laughs> we need to get a new music department. Burkholz, you're a fine man. You're a gentleman and a scholar, Burkholz. And, and, and Burkholz is newly engaged, and let me just say to you, in that is a metaphor for marriage. I just want to, I just, I put that, I just put it to you, okay, that way. It's just, there's something going on there. Um, so in the third, uh, you know, in this third bit, um, you actually, I don't know if you realize this, but read this text. Respond, ye souls, eternal rest. I mean, that's like you're singing to the graveyard. Ye patriarchs and prophets blessed, they're dead, by the way, except for Elijah, the patriarchs, and, you know, and Enoch, they're dead. Hallelujah. Ye holy twelve, all dead. Ye martyrs, the definition of martyrs is dead. You know, all saints triumphant, that's the triumphant saints as opposed to us non-triumphant saints here, dead. Raise the song. And then finally, us, O oh friends in gladness. So this is just, I, just, I just want to observe that because sometimes we suggest those things are foreign to us. Now, I will say just in terms of praying to the saints, there's a difference between um, you know, saying, hey, come on, let's play, and expecting that um, they'll help you find uh, your car keys. So there's a difference between that. You, know? you can talk to whomever you want. Talk to whomever you want. It's okay with us. Just talk to them. It's all okay. When you expect them to answer, then we have another, another issue, okay? So, all right, so that's, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to point that out to you because sometimes, you know, we, I, it just broadens what we are as, as Lutheran types. All right, here is attendance. Send this around. It's always good to vote once in a while. Once a year, you can vote about one thing or something. So I'm going to send this bag around. The, and this is a nice thing, you know. Everybody takes the, you know, kind of the change that falls out of their pockets and gives it someplace. All the kids do this, and uh, every Bible study, you know, the joy group, they always count the dough, and men's Bible study on Thursday. Anyway, so, you know, don't feel compelled to drop something in the bag, but if you, you know, if you got, you know, 50 cents or $1,000, go ahead and put it in. And, uh, but we got to send it somewhere. So, okay, quick thing. The two suggestions are Finn and Westfield House. So um, I don't care where it goes. You know, who can do better? I, you know, they're both, we love them both. If you want to send the money to Finn, raise your hand. You want to send the money to Westfield House? Raise your hand. That uh, looks to me like it's a draw. You can choose. Okay. So uh, I don't here. Send this around. Don't you don't like if you don't don't like scramble for your wallet if you didn't bring it this morning. I'm not. That's not what I'm concerned about. It's more about um, can we have some fun? Okay. Next thing. Sorry about that. Um, did anybody think to bring these back? Do you have these in front of you? Say yes. I'm begging you. Say yes. Thank you. Uh, I I don't mind printing these. It costs about ten cents a piece to print them. So I always, um, you know, I'm, it's completely cool to print them because if we were buying curriculum, we'd spend the money. We wouldn't even think about paying fifteen bucks for a book for everybody. But I also I don't ever want to print kind of more than I need. So if you can, we're still going to look at this. If you can, um, I tell you what, uh, I got ten or twelve here. If you can just send them back. If you can look on with somebody, look on. If you need one for two or three, you just take one. Because I do, in fact, want to uh, look at this. Okay, everybody okay? Last thing I want to say is um, the bishop, Dan Gilbert, will be here next, next week. He will preach and do the Bible study. He'll talk about the Missouri Senate. He'll talk about the district. Um, we invited him 
you know, a few months ago when he still had an open schedule, so that was nice for us. So he'll take the time uh, next week. Let me also say that um, at the end of the month for Reformation, Professor David Skayer will come to preach and teach Bible study. There's only one Skayer in all the world. Uh, it is an experience not to be missed. He has the dual disadvantage of being a New Yorker and a Lutheran pastor. I mean, a man can hardly be saved with such a pedigree. But I would never say that in front of him. So, I mean, he's just the most, he's, you have to experience him. Uh, so he'll be here on Saturday doing a seminar. We probably should be getting the, the sign-up sheets up pretty soon, but you don't sign up anyway, so what difference does it make? No, uh, no, you should be signing up for that so we can get, uh, it's, the, it's the day before Reformation. Is that the 27th? 27th, Saturday morning, the 27th. I mean, he's an, and he's an older guy now. Is he 70? At least 70. Not yet 80. So you're going to get sort of, uh, you're going to get the full blast. And frankly, he doesn't care because he's between 70 and 80 and he can do what he wants. Uh, but it will be, it'll be different than anything you've uh, experienced before in your life, I guarantee you. Okay? All right, any questions about anything? Everybody Okay. All right, here's the thing. I was struck again last night. We had, uh, <clears throat> there's, you know, there's a new book and there's new blessings for everything. And there was a blessing last night uh, that we had for, to bless some crucifixes. And I was stunned to find when I read through yesterday afternoon that um, it quotes the Psalm 27 about beauty, about art, that this beauty be your consolation. Uh, and also prompt you on to great things. It's, it's really quite remarkable. Uh, this starts to pop up all over the place. I, and I was, I was musing this morning about um, how harried... I think about you so often as a congregation and the sort of people you are. You know, every congregation has its own demographic, has its own personality, has its own... And you're, you're a particular kind of people. You know, you're different than people this morning who were in Calcutta in the gutter... You're different than people in Los Angeles. You're, you're different. You're a particular kind of people. And you, we always try to think, you know, what is it that you particular kind of people need? And we always need to think about that in terms of, you know, both what is glorious about you and what frustrates it. And I'm sure you think the same way about us. There are things you know, I hope you like, and I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure, in fact, I'm absolutely sure that the word dangerous or frustrates you. The only four comments on my sermon I've had today are, do you know that dangerous is not a word? <clears throat> and I'm like, uh, yes, it is not a word, except that Huckleberry Hound uses it, and I was trying to loosen you up a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's not a word, except on Cartoon Network, and then it is a word, and if cartoons are really real life, then it is a word. So, you know, so, you know, yeah, I'm sure there are things I do that frustrate you, like, say, dangerous, sir. Uh, and fishes. I'm going to check today in the Oxford English Dictionary, but I do think in the King James and the Oxford English Dictionary, and I disavow, though, having, ever be, having said sheeps, which I was accused of today. I do know that sheep is plural and doesn't take the S. So, you see, we all have things that we're trying to clean up and or hide, and uh, <clears throat> I like you. So I always think to myself, you know, what is it that you need? I bet, if I, I, bet I would be the most popular pastor in Wheaton, if I could get you all a week of rest. If you had a week of rest that you didn't have to worry about anything, didn't have to worry about your kids, your bills, your meals, your work, you could just, if we could freeze the outside world and then just have some fun, I, I think, and I think beauty, I was thinking today how beauty goes to rest so easily, even though it might not be clear from this. It's sort of the next step. Maybe we'll go there and have some fun. Just take the icon in front of you. Just look at it, Okay. Try to think about, 
And I, I wanted to say, I didn't give you the week. I, I just want to say again, um, I'm utterly dependent uh, on a book called The Dwelling of the Light by Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury. It's actually a very small book, and I've read it four or five times already. Um, the bits that I've read, I've read four or five times already. And I, I find each time I read it, it's a fresh read, which is really the mark of a book that just, you know, well, that's why guys turn out to be the archbishop. Because, you know, because each time you read them, it's something different. So remember where we've been now. Beauty, gaining friends saying, um, you know, beauty, that sounds a bit leisurely, which I'm actually beginning to take as a compliment. I'm thinking that that may be, um, we, we rebelled against that initially, but I'm thinking more and more that might, he meant it as a non-compliment, but we're going to take it as a compliment. And this notion that, um, uh, I, you know, this line from the lecture that says, keep alive the rumor that the beauty which once was lost has been regained, and especially in the face of Christ. And I think about you as, um, I think in your deepest level, you know, somehow, if I said to you, describe the person you love most, I think that you would say, uh, you know, you're a very mature group, I think that you would say, in, in the first five words, you would say, he is a beautiful person. She, she's, she's beautiful, she's wonderful, she's extraordinary. I think you would say that, and then I would just sort of quiz you about what you mean. I think you know it when you see it, like so many things, you know it when you see it, but I want to see if we can, we can sort, of, sort of expand what it is that we see. And, of course, the, the, the key always is to understand it as a gift from God. And so we read the psalm where he speaks about the beauty of God. I'm sorry, where it speaks about beauty being the incarnation of God on the altar to devour the sacrifice. God is in the flame. You remember if you were in women's Bible study, but I think I've used it up here as well um, a few years ago. You remember the famous icon that has the burning bush of Moses, and he's face down, and, and there's a man in the bush. That's beauty, Jesus in the fire, okay? And what that means, then, is beauty is not capricious or self-defined. You don't get to decide what beauty is. What it really means, as Thomas said, beauty is God, and God is beauty, Thomas Aquinas. Beauty is God, and God is beauty, which means beauty is not subjective, which, see, now when you say that, you can eliminate all the categories of what people think they would describe as beautiful. You know, war, pornography, love the smell of napalm in the morning. No, that doesn't, you know. All the things that people would say that are beautiful, and you'll be able to find beauty in things that you normally wouldn't think are beautiful. People who are homeless. you strangers in our midst. And I hope in each other. You know, what I really hope is that you can find beauty in each other. And I guarantee you that with the beauty will come the rest. There is a way that beauty settles your soul at sort of the deepest level. Because it's so engaging. Your hands are only so big, you know, you can only hold so much. And beauty is so engaging that it fills your hands in a way that, I mean, you really have to drop something. Something has to drop out. And, and if, you're, if you're enthralled by beauty, you're so filled, there's nothing left to complain about, nothing left to worry about. You know, nothing left to kvetch about. Nothing left to rebel against. And when the beauty is Christ, then it all starts to make sense, okay? 
And I've, I've started you with this, what can be said is really kind of a violent image. If you pick up this um, on the first read, if you pick up this icon, you have a look at it, you know, this is really, really kind of a, it's a violent expression of what's gone down. Here is Christ who, and by the way, there are many of you I'm, I've discovered and will continue to discover who know much more about this than I do. I, somebody came in last week and said, now is that, it looks brown here, but it's got to be the deep midnight blue. Deep midnight blue is always, always the color for Heavenly Father and icons, and the Heavenly Father is unfathomable. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's bang on. That's exactly what they're trying to do here. They're trying to show you that Jesus comes... See, the outer bit is gold, and that's sort of the brightness of uncreated light. But that uncreated light explodes from the infinite depth of the Father, who makes his contact with you out of that infinite depth by displaying his Son. And you remember the things we talked about, the three bits that go down, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Christ in the flesh, yet he's unlike other people because he floats He calls forth both the dead and the alive. He calls forth both the law and the prophets. He calls forth Moses on the right, who died, and Elijah on the left, who did not die. And this stunning effect of calling them forth and entering into our world is more than we can bear. It tumbles us down the hill. And so they are are both... They are both repelled and engaged at the same time. And so you see Peter still looks up, but his hand is up. What does his hand do? Does it welcome or does it shield? And Jesus, we didn't talk about this, but Jesus, what is Jesus' hand like? Is that a hand that's meant to strike you, to smite you, to judge you, to punish you? Or is that a hand that beckons you to love you, to draw you close? And John there, uh, you know, his, his eyes are averted, but he nevertheless is present. And James sort of tumbling down the hill more than he can take. But there are times I was, I was struck again. You know, people come weeping at the rail this morning. Strange stuff, you know. All these, these new kids who were the, the consonant, uh, the consistent, let's see. I don't even say. The single factor that every child who shared the supper this morning, we've had probably 11 kids who are new kids who have come to the supper. I don't know if you've noticed this too. We didn't get a chance to talk about this. Is the utter calm with which they've come. It's been striking. You know, you all are very busy, and we are too. These kids who have come to their first supper today are so calm. It's just, it's inexplicable. But they have a sense that they're in, they're, they're in the presence of what's divine, of what's holy. And they tend it. They tend everything that moves. They tend the sign of the cross being put to them. They tend to go in peace. It's, it's fascinatingly fun to watch. Because it's the way it's meant to be, the, to, to children belong to the kingdom. You know, it just is. Mm. All right, so now you have this, this Jesus who's revealed, and Jesus gives, he's got a nimbus, the glow around his head that you see up here, and he gives that nimbus to his saints, not yet in this image at least to his disciples. They're sort of still tumbling through the earth, and they all live by his reflected glory. Uh, uh, Moses is alive, and Elijah is alive, and the rocks are alive, and the world is alive. Everything comes alive with Jesus. But now I've got a question about what difference does that make? What you've got here is an image of Christ transfigured. But if you really believe that this is not a photograph, but rather an image shot through with the energy of God, 
that this is not a mirror in which you see yourself, but this is a window through which you see into the depths of the divine. That this is not intended to be a representation, but rather a companion that's to draw you on a journey that's bigger than yourself. In the same way that scripture draws you in, then it's not only you who are transfigured, I'm sorry, it's not only Christ who is transfigured, but also you. And part of what you're meant to see is that this will change you in some very real way. If you just pick this up, and it was very helpful last week, if you can kind of peer onto one if you don't have one. Um, it was very helpful last week when the artist and the architect sort of pointed out the symmetry. And I had suggested to you about how things converge uh, upon your eye, and then also, uh, you know, again added in after the fact with somebody who said, and they do this intentionally to show that what they do is an otherworldly thing and not a worldly thing, and that must be true. That icons are written, they're, you know, the, the things in the front are huge, as if you're enwrapped by them, you know, you're part of it. So Jesus is transfigured, yes, but what he's trying to say is that you're transfigured too. Ordinary time gets jumbled up. Ordinary events are upside down. Your ordinary ways don't matter anymore. What you brought this morning, it, it's child's play. You know, this is reality. You know, where you parked and whether or not you had cream in your coffee and if your paper came or didn't come and how you're going to pay the bills later and what time the bears are on. The cubs, the cubs will be back. Oh, well, never mind. None of that matters, you see. None of that really matters. That's not real life. This is real life. See, part of what, you've got dead men and live men in the same picture. You've got infinite God and God in the flesh right here before you. What it's trying to tell you is, you know what, this is real and that's not real. This is what's real. This is ordinary. This is what's meant to be. And it means that our lives have meanings and motions and ways, once we're in the church, that we can't always know. It means that only in the increasing light of Christ do we understand the world. They're bowled over by the energy, as the Orthodox Fathers talk, of the icon, and yet they don't flee. They shield themselves, and yet at the same time they're attracted. You know, this is real life, that you understand both Christ in the flesh, but he's always beyond you that he's always creator, word, the agent of the universe, and you always remember a creature. It's this double thing. And in the course of that, you realize that things may not turn out the way you thought they were going to turn out. And the things you thought that mattered, they may not really matter. And at the end of the day, it is only in the light of Christ that your life has any coherency. You are, uh, to be in church, you know, to spend your time, to spend your money, to send your kids to this school, to sit in Bible study, to look at an icon, to gaze at glass, to try to draw people into the life that you've been drawn into, that is not normal life. And it is largely, you know, the older I get, and I think, you know, if you talk to older Christians and older pastors, you know, the, what we love in, in older people is that they understand the way that their lives come into a coherence only in the light of Christ. As a Christian, you do things and you say things and you try things. You forgive things. You live in a particular way that makes no sense to anybody else. And frankly, real honestly, sometimes those things don't even make sense to you. 
but they make sense if you're inside this icon. If really God is infinite and he really sends his son, and if really you only live from him and you only flourish in his light, if it's really true that the rest of the world is darkness and that there's only coherence before the face of God, then it may be that you can't sort out everything you do, and it may be that obedience is really the only way forward. It may be that you can't understand the reason Jesus tells you to love your enemies or to tithe or to good those who hate you. It may not be that you can't understand that he says, this is my body and this is my blood. It may be that you'll never understand that until the icon reverses itself and draws you into the infinity of the black, the blue, the reds. Uh, as Peterson says, the country of the Trinity. Beyond that, the Orthodox would tell you as they look at this icon, they would suggest to you that you should get a great big dose of this. You should take full advantage of this icon because there are other icons and there are other stories. There are stories um, that are not so glorious and not so joyful. And it's no accident, you see, that Peter and James and John are on the Mountain of Transfiguration and also in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's no accident. The Orthodox would tell you that you are drawn to this kind of an experience so that when you end up in Gethsemane and your Lord is being led off to be crucified, you understand that even in the deepest part of human terror, Jesus is still carried ahead by that tidal wave of energy from his Father. And in that, though you'll have deep emotion, which the disciples did, and sometimes even sin deeply, nevertheless, he remains master and creator of all things. It may be that you don't have anything in your experience that corresponds to that. If that's true, you know, that's all right. Um, as you grow older, perhaps, although, you know, you see it with younger people, too, who are quite challenged. But as you grow older, you normally add up things that come with the sort of violence that is evident in this, in this, um, in this icon or in the other icons of Jesus being drawn off to the cross. But if you haven't yet seen yourself in these icons, it doesn't matter because it's not about you. Just like the texts in the, in the scripture are not about you. They're not about you. They're for you and they engage you. And in a secondary sense, they're a gift to you. But they're not about you. So you're given this icon so that in other days, when your life is more tragic or more difficult or you see Christ drawn off to the cross, you're prepared to engage that as well as still a gift from God. The point is that the truth about God really overthrows everything we think about God and ourselves. The icon is really meant to confuse you. It's to put you upside down. It's to engage you, but make you protect yourself at the same time. It's meant to bring all human emotion forward. But most of all, it's meant to jumble you. 
in the way that baptism would jumble you or the supper would jumble you, that it reorients you to the divine and it gives you a starting place from God and not from yourself to move through your life. Now here's the thing. If you don't want to be changed, you probably need to look away. And I was thinking about this yesterday. Intuitively, intuitively, that is what people who don't come to church do. Intuitively, they look away. Because the delivery of Jesus from forever and what he intends to do with your life, to resurrect you from the dead and put you on a path that you can only understand, that only comes to coherence in him, is frankly too much for many people. So what people intuitively do is they turn their face away. You heard this in the Gospels. The texts say the same thing. People you know, stop their ears in John 6 and they say, this is just too difficult. We've got to find another way. We'll find a religion that doesn't bother us quite so much. We'll find a God who's more to our liking. We'll find a God that we can comprehend. A God who talks about financial success or about power or about me being beautiful instead of him being beautiful or all the other aberrations that you see that don't have to do with transfiguration and cross. Okay? But if you're willing to live in uncreated light, see, this is how the icon speaks to you. If you're willing to live within this area, if you're willing to live within the uncreated life of Jesus, everything looks different. This is no different than when Jesus preaches and he draws you in behind. See, the icon does exactly the same thing in a different way. It draws you into a world that is not your own. It energizes you with power that's not from you, that's not natural. Even the light in an icon is not spoken of as created light. There's another category for this kind of light. It is uncreated light. Read Revelation at the end. And there's no more sun and there's no more moon. There's no more created light because God himself is light. See? And if you can come to that as a new thing, then there's possibility. If you can come to life and say, the life that I have is really meaningless compared to this. If you can come to life and realize that it's only inside the icon that you have freedom and forgiveness and love and resurrection and heaven. And if you can understand from then until now that God lives in the midst of death. This is the first icon, but more take you along to the place where people suffer and beyond this. Tumble down the hill. You remember the first story after the transfiguration is the boy who flops himself in the fire because he's got a demon. And then beyond that, off to Calvary. If you can understand, if you can live from this, then you can enter the world unfearing. Even if you don't understand, even if it's only a matter of obedience, even if it's like nothing what you've seen before, even if all your friends say that you're crazy, you can move into the world as a beautiful place because it's lit by the uncreated light of Christ from the Father. And that then pushes you forward um, whether we live or whether we die. You remember, it was Thomas, wasn't it, who said, Jesus said, we're down to Jerusalem now. That would be beyond this icon. This icon, remember, is the turn south that we've been talking about. This is, what, this is where Jesus turns after this transfiguration. He's up north. He turns south and goes down to the cross. And you remember Thomas's famous words, let's go die with him. 
which are, of course, the words of every Christian. Let's go die with him. But it's also, let's go live with him. The story goes to resurrection as well. So your lives are different. And you see, all of that, just, you know, you don't have to be able to read. You don't have to be literate. You just look at it. There's depth, and there's light, and there's Christ, and there's tumbling, and there's entry, and there's pain, and there's violence, and there's hope, and there's freedom. And it's only understood in obedience. I mean, that's as good a story as a story can be told. And that's the story that you're drawn into as Christians. And if you can have that as your gift, then there is rest. If you can have that as your beauty, then there is hope. You know, And this is real life. That out there, that's not real life. This is real life. And of course, it's up to you to choose what you'll have. We've got to go. It's 11 already. It's a feast day, but we still wanted to play. Um, next week, we'll hear from the bishop. The following week, uh, we'll go back to the second psalm. It's Psalm 27, which is the second page of the handout. I've got more handouts if you want. I'll try to remember to make some more icons if you just want to take one. Um, and you think. You chatter. You read. Look at it. Um, and we can talk about this a little bit as we come back. We'll need to review just to get everybody on the same page, okay? Sign in, drop some money in, um, do some good, and don't worry, the Lord will put it all together in a way that fits him, even if it doesn't necessarily fit you. All be all right, okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you next week.